everybody loves them some Amy Scott. And some Kimberly Adams. <laughs> and this is how we have to start every Friday, just the affirmations Positive and affirmations. love and affection. Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is Friday, January the 19th. Kai is out today, but joining me for Economics on Tap is the wonderful Amy Scott. Hey, Amy. Hey, Kimberly. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. As always, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And if you're joining us on YouTube live stream, hello. Uh, it is Friday. And of course, that means it's time for our weekly happy hour episode. I was ready for it. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we are going to get to some news. We're going to take a break. But before we get to any... Oh, and of course, play a round of half full, half empty. But before we yes. get to any of that, uh, I want to know what you're drinking while I try to lure my cat onto the visible side of the bed with some treats. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper needs to make an appearance. So I, I was just complaining about how cold it is in this uninsulated closet where I record <laughs> uh, for Marketplace. So I made myself some hot cocoa because we have snow in Baltimore. Yay! After two years of almost no snow, it's been super fun to look outside and see that beautiful white fluffy stuff. So um, yeah, peppermint hot cocoa. We'll see if I did a good job stirring it. How about you, Kimberly? Nice. Is the peppermint separate from the hot cocoa or did you like mix them together or was it flavored? No, it's like a powder. It's like a, a pre-made. Yeah. Oh, is this it those is ones that are kind of tall and skinny? Yes. I love those. You know, those, those are like so good. I like the raspberry pouches. one yeah. too. Ooh, mm -hmm. that sounds Delicious. yummy. And I yeah, made it with milk, which really, like, is a treat, I have to say. Oh, wow. That would be a little risky on my end, but I'm glad mm. you can enjoy it. <laughs> um, well, we'll see for now. <laughs> see how well that <laughs> microphone picks up. Anyway, um, <laughs> I have made another mocktail. Um, it has lemon ginger pretty. kombucha. Yeah, it's got lemon ginger kombucha. This glass was made by uh, one of our Make Me Smart listeners who sent one to Kai and I. Isn't it pretty? No way. That is so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's so nice. Um, but anyway, it's got lemon ginger kombucha. Uh, what did I say? Cranberry orange syrup. Uh, non-alcoholic tequila and then i garnished it i don't know if you can see with some frozen cranberries just you know for fun that's beautiful super classy i try i try um so i got my mocktail action happening all right let's see what everybody's drinking in the chat um ba -ba 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 -ba. Longboard has a lager from hawaii sarah slosser's drinking bourbon terry Cresimano is drinking Warren G double IPA from the Guild Brewing Company in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, represent. And do, 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 ooh, Jennifer has a lemon drop martini. Lewis Smith has a Negroni. Ooh. Oh my goodness, so many things. Um, Debbie Donovan asked, does tequila need do what it needs to do in the mocktail? Yes, it does. <laughs> Melissa McCarty has Good a question. rusty nail. Ooh, I have, oh. I, I got feelings about that. I can't that remember rusty what's nail. in a rusty nail. It's such a great name. Just it's slightly um, scary, but it's Scotch and Drumbuoy, and you know uh -huh. I like a good cocktail. I made one of those suckers, and it made me like cough and my eyes water. And you know it takes <laughs> something to do that to me. <laughs> All right, what's your news, Amy? Let's do it. 
Yeah, well, I thought I'd do some housing news because uh, mm. I don't know if you saw this item. Um, the housing market hasn't been this bad since the year the World Trade Organization was established. O.J. Simpson went on trial and Pixar released its first ever movie. Uh, I won't make you guess. It was 1995, so almost 30 years. And uh, this wow. came from the National Association of Realtors, which said today that existing home sales fell by 1% in December from the previous month. Not so bad. But for the year, sales are down across the country to the lowest level in almost 30 years since 1995. And of course, Bloomberg points out that back in 95, there were 74 million fewer people in this country. Um, so that says something. And the median home price back then was about $115,000. Uh, in 2023, it was a record $389,800, which obviously is much higher even if you adjust for inflation. So, I mean, it, the story is all about supply and demand, high interest rates, suppressing home sales, but already, um, but also keeping people who have a low mortgage rate in their homes and not selling, which uh, suppresses the supply of houses for sale and therefore pushes up prices. So uh, this market remains pretty terrible. <laughs> but the good news, I think, is that mortgage rates have actually been falling in the last couple of months. Freddie Mac said yesterday the weekly average for a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 6.6% down from a high of near 8% in October. And most analysts expect rates to continue to fall at least a little bit this year, which hopefully will get more people to put their houses on the market, take some pressure off prices, but also, of course, makes home buying more affordable for those who want to get into the market. Um, you did say that there's a lot more supply coming online, though, right? Well, there should be. <laughs> there should be. Home builders uh, are feeling optimistic. They're building um, more homes. But we need, by some estimates, like 4 million new homes just to meet mm. the current demand. So it's going to take a long time to climb out of this. Um, the uh, Fannie Mae, which is the other big mortgage um, finance company, uh, said also this week that it'll take years to get back to pre-pandemic sales levels because of all these what economists like to call headwinds. Hmm. Headwinds. Okay. Okay. Well, that I, I recognize that sigh as like bummer, bummer. Okay. So I just want to say one more quick thing. I read a very yes. interesting story in, in the journal this week about Let's something called assumable mortgages, which is when you, the buyer, can assume the mortgage of the seller at the mm -hmm. low rate that they had. The, the journal piece said it's like traveling back in time. Um, this isn't an option for everyone, but I thought that was kind of cool. Um, if you remember, you, you know, and I were slacking about this like a year ago when we were talking via Slack about why more people weren't doing this. And I remember you did research on it at the time, and we're like, eh, "Not many people can do it." <laughs> we had a whole conversation. Yeah, because you about have this. to pay. You still have to pay the difference in the price and the um, mm -hmm. and the value of the mortgage. So not everybody's walking around with all that cash, but. You know, if you're lucky enough to be able to pull that off, you can still get a three point X percent mortgage rate. But for the rest of us, it's it's much higher. It's kind of like owner financing, but slightly different. This with the company. Exactly. Or seller financing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, seller exactly. financing. That's what I was thinking of. Cool. All right. Um, How about you? I have two. Uh, one is just sort of a follow up to what we 
we're discussing actually a follow-up to a story we discussed earlier in the week about artificial intelligence because i thought about something afterwards and then lots of people commented in the discord about it afterwards and they're on a fair point kai and i were talking about all of these ai layoffs and universal basic income and this idea that you know we're all going to have to sort of build our skills up uh, in order to adapt to what's coming because it is coming and we've got to figure out a way to survive uh, the coming AI coming for our jobs, basically. Yes, and, and I didn't mention it the other day, but I should have, that doesn't mean I think all of this should be on the workers. Like there have to be some guardrails. Mm. There's definitely going to need to be policy. There's no way that the workforce is going to be able to adapt as quickly as this technology is coming online. So there's still going to need to be some sort of policy, some sort of assist, some sort of guardrails to buffer the people who get shunted out of their jobs by technology that moves way faster than anybody else can can adapt. Um, and so, yes, I think that too, but I also hope that there will be part of those changes and those policies will be, you know, some training that hopefully is subsidized or available uh, for people who are standing to lose out in this transition. Um, so then the other follow-up that I wanted to talk about was on that tax deal that Kai and I discussed earlier in the week. It's been in the news and a lot of people were very skeptical when this deal dropped that had uh, an ex extension of the child, or I guess, um, a reactivation of the changes to the child tax credit that were kicked in during that kicked in during the pandemic that helped a lot of kids raised a bunch of families out of poverty. So this tax deal brings back some of those components while also bringing back some business tax cuts that a lot of the folks in the GOP wanted. And it got a lot of pushback when it first landed because the Democrats thought it didn't go far enough. The Republicans were kind of iffy on sort of getting anything done uh, that <laughs> makes the the administration look good, but it looks like it's moving forward. It's sort of passed its first big test. Uh, the roll call headline says, strong bipartisan showing in the first te test of the tax deal support the White House backed bill faces a time crunch with tax filing season set to begin. But the House Ways and Means Committee voted overwhelmingly Friday to approve a $78 billion tax package that would revive a trio of business tax incentives and expand the child tax credit. It was a 40 to 3 vote. And that bodes very well for the passage of this thing. Regardless of whether it's a good or bad bill, because, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on that, the fact that something was negotiated on a bipartisan basis. It was a hard fight. The fact that it's actually getting done and moving forward, something moving through Congress to me is, is a good thing. And it's nice to see that it's possible. And pretty remarkable. Last thing, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last thing, very quickly, because I know that we need to get to our other fun stuff. Uh, I was reading about water on Mars, and I suppose I I like space. I follow it pretty closely, but I didn't quite recognize how much water was on Mars and that it was sort of already determined that there's water on Mars. They were just trying to figure out how much. And now there's new research saying that there is a large water formation in one this particular in this one particular part of Mars that includes enough frozen water to fill the Red Sea, and so this was the interesting uh, 
part. Over 15 years ago, Mars Express studied the Medusa Fosse Formation, MFF, revealing massive deposits up to 2.5 kilometers deep. From these early observations, it was unclear what the deposits were made of, but new research now has an answer. They found the deposits were even thicker than we thought, this is a quote, up to 3.7 kilometers thick, says Thomas Waters of the Smithsonian Institution, U.S. lead author of both the new research and the initial 2007 study. Excitingly, the radar signals match what we would expect to see from layered ice and are similar to the signals we see from Mars's polar caps, which we know to be very ice rich. If melted, the ice locked up in the MFF would cover the entire planet in a layer of water 1.5 to 2.7 meters deep, the most water ever found on this part of Mars and enough to fill the Earth's Red Sea, which I just thought was kind of cool. It's amazing. But I love how I read the article and and at one point, uh, one of the scientists was like, well, it's either water or dust. (laughs) (laughs) The distinction is pretty important. But now they've like ruled out dust because it acts more like ice acts. And yeah, just the the way they figured that out. But can you imagine like showing up to Mars with your crew and you're like, there's plenty of water here. And it turns out to be nothing but dust. Make for a great adventure in a sci-fi novel. (laughs) Indeed, it's probably already being written. (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm sure. Okay, well, that is it for the news. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we return, we're going to play a round of Half Full, Half Empty, and we will be right back. For what it's worth, Jasper is still here. He's just decided to nap on the other side of the bed. (laughs) Oh, Jasper, not cooperating. I know, despite all the treats. (laughs) Anyway, okay, it is time to play Half Full, Half Empty, hosted by the one, the only, Drew Jostad. All right. According to a restaurant research firm, Technomic, 2024 is going to see a breakfast and brunch boom. Are you half full or half empty on restaurants going all in on breakfast? <laughs> I live in Washington, D.C. The The brunch scene is very intense here, so I don't think I'm going to notice the difference. Uh, so I'll say uh, half empty <laughs> because... You only have to see, I, I, the last, I was hanging out with a friend a couple weeks ago. It's cold out and we were sitting outside of a brunch place and I literally saw two people have to be physically carried out of brunch because they went too hard on the Uh-oh. bottomless. And I was just like, come on y'all, let's oh, do better. Wow. Let's do better. Well, Kristen Schwab did a great story about this on Marketplace this week. I think maybe it was on yesterday. Um, but she mm. said that I, there are statistics showing more people drink alcohol at brunch than they do at dinner, which I found fascinating. I'm like, don't they have anything to do afterwards? But, you know, my brunch days are have over. Bottomless. <laughs> when was the last time you I'm heard half... of a bottomless dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That story is so interesting, though. It also showed that people are not eating as late as they used to. Like the whole eating, Mm. going out phenomenon has shifted earlier. So restaurants are cashing in on this uh, change in habits. Um, I would say I'm half full because, you know, as Kristen mentioned, things like eggs, potatoes, 
coffee, bread, those things are relatively cheap. And so for a mm. business to be able to make a pretty good profit, you know, serving up that stuff, I think it's it's good for restaurants, which have been through such a rough couple of years. So um, even though I, I prefer to eat at home, I, <laughs> I'm half, half full on this. Uh, Robert Bittner in the chat is saying, half full if real brunch menus, because I'm a two meal a day person. Yes, you need oh, that nice. good. If it's a good brunch menu, I'm all for it. Um, and Margie Kish says, I want to hear more fruits and veggies with breakfast. Okay, fair, mm, fair. I like it. All right, what's next? Last year also saw the Women's Marathon World Record and the Chicago Marathon Record both broken by runners wearing sneakers with carbon fiber plates. Are you half full or half empty on super shoes? Mm. Go ahead, Amy. You seem to have feelings. I don't know. I'm torn about it. I mean, there's been like debates over technology in every sport, right? Like swimsuits that are more streamlined and... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think I hadn't heard about the shoe thing, uh, but I think it's cool when people push boundaries and not with performance enhancing drugs. So I guess I'll say I'm half full. Hmm. I'll go for half full because I'm sure that this technology is also going to have some sort of other application that will be useful for humanity more broadly. Um, I'm imagining that eventually if the technology gets cheaper people who have to spend their day on their feet you know maybe that will help them to be more comfortable in their shoes or something like that uh this was a bbc story that our colleagues uh, our colleagues over at the bbc did that ran on marketplace morning report and you know it says the sole is made of a thick foam fitted with carbon fiber plate which is supposed to act as a catapult and give an extra hmm. boost to every step so maybe that won't help people on their feet all I day i could use a catapult just in my daily life that sounds fun yeah. it's probably super expensive but i want to try it yeah or maybe i'm just you so know, in awe of people, people who can run marathons need. i'm like whatever makes it a little easier for you <laughs> yeah i'll go half full sure why not What's next? Are you half full or half empty on using robots to mitigate loneliness? <laughs> That's such a good story. Um, it is. You know what? I'm half full. If something helps, I mean, it's, it can be a little creepy, obviously. But yeah, I mean, loneliness is a, a real epidemic. And if it works, it's like fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, this was a AI-powered robot called LEQ. I listened to this interview that Lily Jamali did for Tech about this mm -hmm. technology and, you know, this sort of fine line you have to walk between, uh, especially for older people, you know, giving and getting information that's helpful without, like, violating their autonomy. So, like, if you notice them forgetting to take their meds, you know, LEQ asking for permission, can I tell your daughter that, you know, you may need some help or something like that. I th I'm half full on the technology simply because the other option is people just being lonely right now. We don't have enough uh, caregivers. Uh, we don't have enough people to, to check on our aging population. And if it helps, I'm in favor but again i hope there's a lot of guardrails that go into this stuff yeah yeah absolutely for privacy security yeah like i'm just having a paranoia like i'm 
imagining, you know, hackers getting into that and like praying. My on brain some just older went there person. too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yep. it's bad enough as is. But you know what? Let's be optimistic. Because Kai's not here. We can be optimistic. We're on a roll say, right now, I think. We've yes, been mostly this half is going to be a good thing. Yes. Let's do it. What's up, Drew? What's next? Uh, half full or half empty on the Mean Girls remake. <laughs> oh. Darn it. I'm going to break my streak. <laughs> well, with uh, the caveat that I haven't seen it, yeah. you know, so maybe it's amazing. I'm half empty. I just, it's like, why do we have to keep remaking these things that were kind of awesome in their own way at their own time even if they're dated it's like do we really have to make a new version for a new audience or can't we just like watch things that were already created in, in this case by most of the same people <laughs> yes um <laughs> i was listening to uh i think it was today explained they were talking about how uh we're we're being tricked into uh watching musicals and how a lot of these <laughs> things like Mean Girls and The Color Purple and these other movies, they're not being marketed as musicals or even the Barbie movie to some extent. <laughs> but they really have like some musical components. But because musicals have such a bad MO, they're just like, oh, it's just a movie. It's just a show, whatever. Uh, I'm going to abstain until I see it because I, I feel That's like I'm having That's another reason unnecessary... I'm half empty because I totally – I never thought about it that way. But yes, it's like – Wait a minute! I didn't think I was watching a musical. <laughs> I've been Although, bamboozled. I should say I love a good musical. I love a good musical. So, all right, is this the last one, Drew? Last one. All right. So, those of you who are watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube uh, in the chat, please feel free to weigh in with your vote, and uh, let's go ahead with it. Are you half full or half empty on banning smartphones in schools? Ooh, I'm going to let you, former education reporter, vamp on this one, especially since you're the one with children. Oh, my gosh. Should we wait till people have weighed in? I'm like, what can we, you can, how can I, I, I stall? How can we vamp on this and, and non, non-committedly? Uh, um, yeah. I, I really can see both sides of this issue. And I mean, not to be too mm -hmm. dark about it, but especially in the era of school shootings and things like that, um, and, oh my God! Yeah, and this week we had that terrible, terrible uh, Uvalde uh, investigation come out, and um, with all the ways that the police department failed there. So, from that perspective, I definitely can appreciate why parents would want their kids to have their phones in the schools, and yet there's a lot of research showing how disruptive it is and how it can contribute to bullying, and you know bad body, self-body image among kids and things like that. Ooh, it's, it's a tough one. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel all of those things. Um, I think the research about social media in particular and this harm on, on children and teens is very compelling. Um, and, you know, like if you could have a, a, a phone that doesn't access those things, but th it, where you can reach your folks, in an emergency, you know, maybe that's the mm -hmm. the sweet spot. Um, I do know a lot of teachers will collect the phones when the students come in and you get them when you leave and that cuts down at least on the disruption in class, which seems positive. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting. If I'm, if... Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say there's a lot of interesting comments in the chat. Uh, Chip from Durham says, teacher here, full-ish. Lots of people very Mm. full. Uh, Nick says, half full. I wish I could ban them in my daily life as an adult, uh, but can't. Then, let's see, Edward Martinelli makes a good point. Some students need them to monitor their blood sugar. So yes, with appropriate Mm. exceptions. And then, let's see, (laughs) do-do-do-do-do. Kevin Flanagan says, it's called a flip phone, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can still get them. There's also yes, something called can. the Wise Phone that, um, you know, is, it looks like a smartphone. It has a nice camera and and it doesn't have social media apps. I've been looking at that. I'll, full disclosure here, I will not let my kids have phones until they're in eighth grade. Um, oh. Which is How did you land on soon. that? Well, you know, I think it was a trend for a while. Wait until eighth. And like a bunch of parents in, in our kids' school sort of made a pact. And then I think ah. we're the only ones who actually stuck with it. Uh, but that's what we've stuck with. I can't say that it's like the best decision. I think my kids probably get left out of some things. and mm. But I just uh, didn't want to be monitoring them at all times. And, and, you know, just I frankly don't have time to help them be mm. good users of a phone. So I think it's better to just not have one. And we'll see how it goes when we open up that Pandora's box. So what is the what do the poll results say? Well, let's shut it down and have a look at the final uh, tally. Drum roll, please. Looks like we've got 176 votes with 72% being half full on banning smartphones in school, 27% half empty with 176 votes. I am going to go with the wisdom of the chat and say half full with uh, appropriate ADA and, and other exceptions. That's what I'm going to land on. I like it. I'm going to say half full, too. And and I would say banning in the classroom is what I would suggest. Hmm, That's a good point um, to let people who need to monitor things do it like in between classes or things like yeah, that. Yeah, or like have a okay. little phone, you know, a sleeve where you put your phone when you walk in and you get it when you walk out. That way in an emergency, it is somewhat accessible. Okay. I dig it. Nice one, All Drew. Right. Well, yes. Thank you, Drew. Woohoo. All right, that is it for us today. Kai and I will be back on Monday. In the meantime, if you have a question or a comment for us, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe, and our intern is Thalia Menchaca. The team behind our Friday game is Emily McCune and Antoinette Brock. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts, and Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. Yes, and as they were saying in the chat, don't forget to sign up for our Make Me Smart newsletter. Also, uh, I did a little recap of my 40 Skills for 40 adventure that I talked about on the show a bit. Highly recommend. A couple weeks ago. Highly recommend. Super fun. 